The Authentic Leadership and Facilitation Training is a three-day experience of leadership, but leadership in a way that most of us don't ever get to experience. It's leadership that's authentic, it's responsive, it's transparent. We have a lot of different types of folks that attend the leadership training. Some are people that have been in community and are interested in just making closer friends and getting deeper. Um, some are people that are in um, work environments where they want to be able to bring more of themselves or have more tools. Others are leading retreats or workshops or meetings or anything where they could just use a space to practice safely uh, the skills that they're going to use or are already doing. It's a space for people that are dissatisfied with the current forms of leadership. The things that cause us to um, put on a face over who we are in order to lead a group of people, which then in response makes the group of people we're leading put on a face of their own. And we get these interactions where neither of us are actually being who we are, and so it's unfulfilling on some level. And the people that come are the ones that feel that unfulfillment and have a sense that maybe there's a different way to do things. And I think they walk out with that. And most of all, it's a place to build community. It's an incredibly welcoming, safe, and joyful container where by the end of the weekend, people you've just met will feel like friends. Boom, what's up everyone? Welcome to Simulation. I'm your host, Alan Sakian. Very excited to be talking about Authentic Revolution. We have Sarah Ness joining us on the show. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for coming on, Sarah. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm super excited for this show. That was a little trailer that summarizes your authentic leadership training. Mm -hmm. And I love what you're doing with Authentic Revolution. I'm very pumped to break this down with you. For those that don't know, Sarah Ness is the founder and chief catalyst of Authentic Revolution, which is a consulting and training company for the skill of honesty within connection. You can find all the links in the bio below to authrev.org as well as authteams.org and enter the living room, check that out too, and Sarah Ness's YouTube channel. Highly recommend watching the videos that she's creating. So check all those links out. All right, Sarah, let's start things off with one of our favorite questions to ask our guests. What are your thoughts on the direction of our world? Small question. <laughs> um, man, I'm like tempted to ask like what section of the direction of the world, but I guess there's a couple different thoughts. As it relates to my own field, I think that like the selves that we are feel like they're partially inside our own bodies, but they're also the systems that we've built around us. The technology, the social atmospheres, and all of that is expanding and expanding. It's like, I don't know what's inside a computer, but I use it to expand my range of capacity. Um, and so we have these like ever building networks of technology and self that just feel like they're increasing exponentially. And it feels like the state of our world is like, is our technology gonna increase fast enough that we can resolve some of the problems that we've created for our planet or are the problems gonna overwhelm the technology? And I think the thing that's really fascinating to me is it feels like even as there's a techno technological revolution, um, there's also a social revolution of like understanding each other more, having some concepts on perspective taking and psychology that previously were, were only allowed in, in psychiatry or different sorts of therapy settings. And now it's like we have so much information on how people interact. Um, and there's this whole new field that gets to be explored. So I'm pretty hopeful about it, actually. Yeah, the, 
we love talking about, we call it the wisdom race with the guests that we need to make sure that our level of consciousness catches up to the level of the exponential technology being democratized around the world and what that's doing geopolitically. And so things like actually authentic revolution help our level of consciousness catch up and so we can win this w wisdom race. Totally. And I think it even provides a different perspective. Like earlier this year, I was totally freaked out about the state of the environment and the world. And it's also given me the like perspective of, okay, like how do I hold the paradox of wanting the human race to continue and acknowledging that like it might not so what do i do with my day-to-day -day life it feels like there's more truth available yeah we will not be another collapsed civilization we will prosper we will prosper let's get into your journey all right born in pennsylvania moved to the university of Texas in Austin for school and you took a trip across the US to study intentional living communities for your senior thesis. I thought this was so cool. So teach us about who you were as a kid growing <laughs> up and how these things even came up to fruition. This is cool. I feel like a radio personality. Like my journey started way back in Pennsylvania when I was a small child. Yeah. <laughs> Not going to do the whole thing in that voice. Um, let's see. So I grew up I grew up in the suburbs of Pennsylvania and I grew up pretty isolated. I didn't really understand how social interaction worked. I was like very much on the fringes of anything involving other people. Um, I spent most of my childhood reading, like on average, probably 10 books a week. I taught myself to speed read because I wanted to read faster. Um, so I missed the whole bit where people learned how to interact with others. Um, and when I got to middle school and high school, I realized that I had missed something. And I started kind of trying to um, learn a little more about how to, how to interact, um, but wasn't very successful. And got to college and, and landed in this real kind of minefield of all sorts of different personalities. I, when I was growing up, I was in an all-girls private school, like 30-person graduating class from sixth grade until 12th grade. So really, like, small bubble. Um, and I'm trying to think of what more to say. The first place that I found where I felt like I really had a space to expand was living in a housing co-op. Because before then, it was like, okay, I'm living in places where there's restriction on my activities. Like, either my parents are telling me what to do, or RAs are telling me what to do, or teachers are telling me what to do. Like, there was never a place where I could really figure out, like, if I have autonomy, what do I choose? And the housing co-ops are amazing places for that, because it was like a bunch of, like, 17 to 20-year-olds having to deal with the finances and the management of a 17-person co-op. Mm -hmm. um, and so I got really fascinated by like, how do people live together and how do they have to evolve to actually take responsibility for themselves? I held a couple officer positions in my co-op and I ended up taking a year off of school because I kind of hated school. Um, <laughs> again, that didn't like being told what to do. Um, and I ended up traveling around for two months and visiting different intentional communities to try to chronicle like how are people living together in college and out of college and trying to find like collaboration and communal forms of being. Um, and during that time I stumbled across ecstatic dance and I stumbled across authentic relating. And it was like this whole different like okay in the 
in the co-ops, one of the things I found was like communication issues could explode a house faster than anything. If people started talking behind each other's backs, um, if people started attacking each other, if there was passive aggression going on, if there were personality conflicts that didn't have any way to get resolved, then half the house would leave, no matter how beautiful the house was or the, or the community. And there were other factors like systems and roles and personal development, but a lot of it felt like communication. So when I found Authentic Relating, it was like, oh man, somebody actually developed like some sort of practice or system that demystifies communication. Mm -hmm. And I started leading the games um, first with some friends in Houston that introduced it to me and then at my housing co-op in Austin and it just kind of took off. Oof, yeah. So I like this also ties us into what you were saying at the beginning with how so much of our built environment is based on the way that our structures are then doing things like impacting our life. So we build things that then in turn begin impacting our own life. Mm -hmm. And so when we do things like learn how to communicate better, it makes it so that when we have problems or issues that arise, that they then get more easily handled if we know how to do a good job at walking us through. I've been studying so much on things like the Socratic dialogue and method and like mm -hmm. the um, like scholasticism, like things that are like really old that are uh, that need to be kind of rebirthed into our culture, including things like this deep dive into other people's eyes and their life journeys and who they are and why they feel the way they do, what's developed in them from their birth until even like six months of age or just the first couple of years, what came with them from their ancestors until now. All of these things that form a human is critical to get to know because then you actually get to know the depths of the psyche and not just at the surface level mm -hmm. and so then it's cool that by going and picking up these authentic relating games that then it's it basically makes it easier for you to go and like seed other people to authentically relate because it's a game mm -hmm. games are fun people like playing games and they, if they if they can learn something from the game like how to dive deeper into human relationships it impacts their entire all other aspects of their life can I ask you a question? Is this one of the games? No. Okay. <laughs> I just got it? curious. Okay, what is it? <laughs> um, I'm actually curious, like, why, like, you said it almost like a universal good to dive deeper into human psyche or understand them more. Like, for you, why is that important? Like, what does that give you in relation to other people? Well, it would be like jumping into life and staying at the surface level. What do you think that, like, what do we think that gives us? And then what do we think, okay, what if I get like 25% down into humans? What would that give me? 50% down, 75% down. What if I got to the extreme depths of the human psyche? Like, what would that do? And like, that, that in many ways seems to be such an integral part of life. But for, it might not be something that is for everyone, although maybe for a vast majority of people, because there are then certain examples of, of cases of people that um, choose to uh, not dive deep into the psyche and choose to maybe spend more time in solitude creating things um, for the world. Mm -hmm. um, just things like that. So there's all different varieties of people, but yeah. So maybe like understanding, fulfillment, living fully. Yeah. And then also understanding meaning and purpose more and helping other people understand meaning and purpose more. Understanding other humans, like you don't live here alone. You obviously live here with 8 billion others right now. And so to like get to know the other couple, 5, 10, 25 in your communities and families at deeper levels will help you. There's also animals 
and yeah. stuff. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You know, yeah, looking at the say that. Authentic relating Speaking with the animal. Speaking on behalf of the whales that are dying. <laughs> I have tried circling cats before. They tend to kind of just walk away, but I assume they're just trying to escape from the intensity. So. <laughs> um, circling cats and dogs is funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I love about what you're speaking to is like, feels like there's communication on the surface and then there's like why people are thinking and feeling things and why they're doing what they're doing. Like why you even made the comments about animals, like what's important to you about that? And yeah. a lot of the conflicts that we get into happen on a level of, of, um, content instead of process or like mm. content instead of context. That's great. And if you get down to like, what are the person's interests? Like, what is driving them? What do they care about? Like, what's at stake in this moment? And the first part of that is even noticing that something, something is there for someone. Like, what's the moment where somebody, where somebody seems to contract or when their voice gets excited about something or when their body language changes? Yeah, yeah. yeah principles, uh, values, the moment that something happens to the change in physiology and someone feels something, and then what that changed, like you said, context versus process. Like we mm -hmm. sometimes go context, 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 talk, 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 but not necessarily go, well, why is that person feeling that way? Like, let's dive into their life journey and understand their process that got them to there. Yep. Mm -hmm. So then let's, let's give some examples of this because, so then after you picked up this, these authentic relating games, you have, you founded the authentic revolution community about seven years ago. Let's, let's also explain what authenticity means. Got it. Um, I've been writing some on this recently because authenticity feels like it's, it's a word that's used all over our culture these days, right? There's like authentic metalworking and authentic Seattle and authentic you know, self and whatever it is. And I think everyone's defining it differently and often how authentic you are becomes a bar to measure yourself against. Like, are you being true to yourself? Like, are you actually following your desires? And in my world, it's like, there's no inauthenticity. Like if authenticity is honesty with oneself, then like at all times we're, we're being as authentic as we can possibly be. We're showing as much of ourselves as we feel comfortable to the outside world and all the different parts of ourselves are showing up in the exact degree that they're able to. So if I think of authenticity as just like one self that I can have more or less of at any given moment, then it's hard to figure out like how to show more of myself. But if I think of authenticity as multiple different aspects of myself, like I have a self right now that's like kind of gauging how I'm talking and is it clear enough? And I have a self that's like excited about what I'm speaking about and a self that's like tracking what's happening for you and a self that's aware of the audience out here and you know, all of those are showing up in different proportions. Mm -hmm. So authenticity to me becomes what's more important even is awareness. Like how much can I see of the different parts of myself? And then how much choice can I have over which ones I'm showing? Like, can I choose to breathe past the discomfort of not knowing what I'm saying moment to moment and choose to focus on like who might be out there or what might be happening for you? So it's like seeing and then choosing what I'm going to show in any given moment rather than assuming that there's a more or less authenticity that I can have. Mm. Okay, so you see all of the different, well, you know yourself well, so maybe authenticity then starts with knowing oneself really well, one's own deepest meaning or purpose in life, and then 
then being really aware of all of the possibilities that exist in the in the space and then you kind of like are very aware of all the different possibilities mm -hmm. and then you collapse the one the future that you want to choose on a moment-to-moment -moment basis right and there's like authenticity with what I'm feeling and what I want in any given moment which might be if I'm feeling nervous I want to like not talk but there's a, another authenticity which is my values and what I care about and if I if I find this integrity this alignment between like what I care about how I'm showing up how I'm speaking how I'm acting that I think is what people often talk about when they talk about authenticity is what I sometimes call congruence. Like, am I being an accurate representation of what matters most to me? Mm -hmm. And that takes a lot of work because yeah. there are different parts of me that feel different things. And it's, it's really hard in a culture, especially that tells us to like do what we love and follow our desires when those may not actually align with what we care most about. I like that word a lot. I like the word congruence. It's like if you're pursuing your truest, highest self, your deepest meaning and purpose in life, you can feel a higher degree of congruence mm -hmm. with that on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. It also, the, the, you, you kind of broke this down, I think, in a very interesting way that our, it's both part of our, our own nervous system with the way that we take in inputs and then compute that and make sense of what choice we want to go in the future. But you broke it down by even the different ways that we're seeing something like this. Like you said that you, you have part of yourself is really being vigilant with the words you use. Another part of yourself is super excited. Another part of yourself is wondering how I'm feeling. Another part of yourself is wondering how the audience is feeling. When you know that all those things are happening at the same time, you become a more well-rounded person versus if you only have one of those things in mind mm -hmm. or none um, or maybe you're so in flow that you know they're all happening but you're just channeling through the moment it's like which is the most fun part of it but kind of hard to get to it's hard to really hard to be in flow yeah. in congruence all the time yeah right yeah i think the thing that stops flow and congruence most is shame because if I have different parts of myself and there's one that I'm ashamed of, like if I feel nervous but I'm not okay with that, mm. I'll kind of subconsciously shut it down. But it won't go away. It just exists under the surface and it kind of causes some tension in my body. And then I can't look at the tension because I've already told myself it's not there. So I'm being affected by something I can't see. And then that is actually really like subtle and painful and shows up in all sorts of places in my life. So um, the thing that I've really been trying in authentic relating recently, and one of the reasons I like the practices is it basically goes, okay, rather than finding the parts of yourself that are okay and not okay, let's look at the fullness of who you are and see if we can like make all that okay to exist because it does. Like that's what's happening in reality. Like that's the person you are. And it, the more you can see about it, the more choice you have about it. Yeah. There's, I think, you know, we, we should definitely talk about loneliness as well. I think this is another good one to, to what, is, what does the work have to do with loneliness in mm -hmm. today's world? Yeah. So it ties into why I think people come to Authentic Relating Games. And like I said in the video, there's a pretty wide variety of people that come. Um, 
I would almost be hard pressed to find an audience that like hasn't shown up at authentic relating games at some time or another from like, you know, oil rig workers from like West Texas to, um, you know, Austin hippies to uh, like um, engineers to computer people, all sorts of, of folks and a pretty wide age range, usually from teens to like, we've had people up into their, into their 70s and 80s. And in part, I think it's just people come because connection is a unifying factor, but the rates of loneliness in our culture in general have increased exponentially in the last couple of decades. Um, there's one study that I think the number of confidants that Americans have have gone down like from, from like three to one in the last couple of decades. And loneliness has been associated with like rates of death on, on the level of like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Like there's this growing body of evidence that shows us that, that being lonely, not having human connection is detrimental to our health and happiness. But something that I found was after I graduated college, like college put me in contact with other people. I couldn't avoid them. There were other people in my classes. I would bump into other people in my dorms and then the co-op. There was this ready-made community for me. And when I graduated, it was like kind of this desert. Like I could go on Facebook or I could, you know, do online dating or I could maybe attend a meetup group, but like who would I go with? And it was like there were so many choices and none at all. And I don't think people do well with a lot of choices, especially when none of them feels particularly appealing. So the reason that I think I'm mo I got really passionate about authentic relating was I saw people walking in and having this experience of actually feeling connection because the games kind of artificially induce a sense of connection that usually only happens in long-term friendships. Mm -hmm. um, they basically make it safe for us to be honest and vulnerable with each other. And that's what it feels like when you've been in connection with someone for several years is you know you can show different parts and you won't be shut down. Um, you can like hang out with someone for several years and never look at their eyes for a minute straight. But if you just jump into a stranger's eyes for a minute straight, there's exactly a lot of cool people stuff experience there. this moment of like, whoa, okay, like I can have something, I can have a relief from loneliness that I didn't know I could. And for some people, if that's just like a, what I call a reference experience, like something that happens once and then they take it out and look for it in the world, great. If they never come back, like, but they get what they need, that's awesome. And for some other people, it's not what they need at all. They have that in their life already, or they're not interested in it. Um, I have members of my family that are like not into this stuff. It's not their form of communication, and that's mm -hmm. fine. But for some people, there's this, this space that they can go and actually have a sense of, of human to human connection. Um, and I think that's really needed in our culture at the moment. Yeah. Seemed to hit you. Ah, <sighs> yeah. Yeah, there's, it's a lot about loneliness that it's, it almost, it makes it so that our, our, our hearts f feel it. And it, it's something that like, we want everyone to be able to experience a deep love and connection to other humans. And mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And it's also interesting how metropolises affect loneliness and how they also affect network effects and how villages around the world affect don't have a network effect but may not have loneliness right hmm 
you yeah. give up some individuality to be together with a group of people, but I, th I don't know if the loss of individuality is worth the loss of happiness that comes from not being connected to others. And I think we've gone far enough that it's not always a choice, unless we're really intentional about looking for it. Trust, trust, trust. Trust is a hard part yeah. of community because people are lacking this authenticity within themselves. And if they're not true to themselves, they're not gonna be true to others. It's a very interesting uh, species we've evolved into. <laughs> the way I think of it these days is like, if out of a hundred people, one or two are legitimately psychopaths. Like I think there are people out there who will manipulate others, will try to hurt others. Um, generally the only ones I've found are ones with actual psychological disorders that have them not feel empathy in the same way, but that exists. But if one or two out of a hundred people are gonna be that, and I generalize the lack of trust to all the rest of that hundred people, then I live a pretty isolated life. So the intention for me has become like, not how do I like keep enough of myself back that I'm safe, but actually how do I develop emotional resilience? Yeah. So if I do get hurt, it doesn't, it doesn't matter as much to me. It's such a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that speaks really well to what Ron just said, that, mm -hmm. that carrying ourselves with, the, with a, like a passion for emotional resilience and bringing ourselves fully into the world and, and making it really clear to other people that we give people trust right off the bat and then we, but we still stay careful with like understanding how people like give us trust back and we see how those relationships form because if there is a time when there is a moment where that may get violated that we have a strong emotional resilience to see that, understand it, bounce back from it and keep going forward. Right. Yeah. And the thing that's been really cool for me about authentic relating is that like it doesn't decrease the chances or the pain of being misunderstood by someone else or having a conflict with someone else. What it gives are tools for how to stay in connection when that happens. I just had a work call before this where like there was a lot of tension among the leadership team that I was working within. But the thing that was different was like, we could stop and call out like, hey, it seems like you're uncomfortable with this. Like, it doesn't seem like you're a hell yes to moving forwards and I'm not comfortable. So like, would you say what's going on with you? Perfect. So it's like that, that capacity to actually sit in the discomfort, find connection within it, almost always creates some sort of resolution or even if the resolution is we're not gonna see eye to eye. Yeah, yeah, that's so badass to be able to, <laughs> <clears throat> it is, <clears throat> it's like, you know, right now, you know, being live, can you say like, you know, can you stretch your jaw if you need to, you know? You, I felt good. <laughs> you know, can you, can you do things that some people may consider to be weird? Like if three people are talking and one of them's like not feeling hell yes to make them move in the direction that the other two want to go, just say, hey, like, feels like it's not a hell yes for you to move. Like, how are you feeling right now? Mm -hmm. How are you feeling right now? How you feeling right now? You know, these are not hard questions. It's so easy to ask, you know, how are you feeling right now? And that can feel like, oh, wow, they recognized me. I, now I have space to say how I feel. And then you talk about it and then you figure out what's the best move of action. Right. And, and I think the difficult thing about that is asking a question like that, most people see as socially inappropriate. Because yeah. so, conversations flowing a certain direction 
to ask a question like that basically puts a roadblock in it, right? Yeah. It's like you take agency to change the direction of conversation. Most people are uncomfortable with that. So the, the like games, that, yeah. the authentic relating games, the reason that I like them is they give us safe spaces to practice things that are socially unacceptable, like asking the questions you're genuinely curious about or revealing your motivation for saying something or speaking to a feeling that you're having with someone else or sharing your impression of them. Yeah, let's give a demo of these. So there's actually over 150 of these. At this point, yeah. At this point, of these authentic relating games. And these happen at the workshops mm -hmm. that Authentic they, Revolution is hosting. They happen at, yes, Authentic Revolution, and there's like 70 plus communities around the world that we've helped start some of them, but the cool thing is like they're, we have they're all independent. NDI too, Ron, if you want to bring it up. Mm -hmm. we, have a, we have a little... Uh, there's a map, yeah. Yeah, we have a little map of so many different ones on the east coast of the United States, in the Midwest, on the west coast of the US. A lot in, in Europe. Europe. Tons in Europe too. Yeah. Conversations about honesty, authentic Sweden, circling, center mindful learning, authentic relating Boston, authentic relating New York, San Diego, authentic relating and circling. And, and these are only the great. ones I know about. Like there's probably 15 to 20 more since I made I've been trying to update this map, but there's so many that I can't keep track of them. Yeah, that's so cool. Uh, yeah, okay, so then these authentic relating games are happening across. Right, yeah. or circling, which is a related or community. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so there's like this decentralized network. But the other cool thing is like the games happen within communities, they happen within workshop settings, but they also are just like little modules that you can take. Like I've played these at family gatherings. I've played these at workplaces. I've played these like to start off a conversation. I was hiring somebody the other day and I said, okay, to start with, I'd love to just like play five minutes of curiosity. You get to ask me anything you want for five minutes. If I don't want to answer, I'll just say no. So mm. like, feel free to use your curiosity. And cool. then we switched and it was like the best way to do a job interview. It got so much out of the way right at the beginning. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the strength of the questions are really important because you got to do things that are not surface, mm -hmm. you know, about like the weather or the sports or, yeah. Do just, you want to play one? Yeah, is this, yeah, let's play one of the, the games, yes. Which one are we going to play? Um, mm. This also reminds me of childhood. I love the idea of play, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Um, let's play... So... Kind of the granddaddy of games is called noticing. Noticing. Which is like okay. a simple body awareness one. So we'll do that and then I want to end with like a bit of like a deeper question. Okay. So the way noticing works is we go back and forth and say, being with you, I'm noticing. Okay. And noticing, you can notice anything that's happening in the present moment. So oftentimes it works well if you're noticing like physical sensations or emotions, things that are affecting you. But you can also notice things that you're seeing in the other person. Um, so whatever is arising in the moment. Within you or what you're seeing in the other person? Yeah, and the okay. only thing to stay or away from- Or the environment and- Yeah, or the so, environment. Yeah, like, okay. it's kind of like the subtext of, of like what else is happening. And of course, in any moment, there's 10 different things going on. So yeah. feel free to also choose. Like, sometimes I look for like, what's the one that's affecting me most? Most, mm -hmm. yeah. So we just go back and forth. Being okay. with you, I'm noticing. Being with you, I'm noticing. Okay. Um, cool. And you're welcome to take a second to respond if you. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> okay. Cool. 
And then we always start with being with you, I'm noticing. You can also just say, I'm noticing. Or, I'm or sometimes noticing. hearing that, I'm noticing. Hearing the, oh yeah, okay, cool. Okay. Um, I'll start. Okay. Being with you, I'm noticing uh, delight and vulnerability. Hearing that makes me feel really good. <laughs> yeah. Hearing that, I feel curious and I'm noticing your smile. Your curiosity makes me feel like we're at place having this conversation. Huh. Hearing that, I'm thinking about the game structure. Mm, hearing that, I'm wondering what have been the most profound things that have happened from this game of noticing ever in the history of the game. <laughs> hearing that, I want to respond and I'm also feeling like delighted at your expression. Hearing that, it makes me want to express so much more, just like the most expressions ever. Hearing that, I just had this like vision of you as like a little kid, like, <laughs> Hearing that, it makes me think about the social fabric of our world and how we, how much it at times uh, inhibits the full, fullest expression of children. Mm. Hearing that, I notice myself slowing down and having like a, a wider perspective, like all of a sudden I'm even noticing more things in the room. So yeah. last, last one. Okay, hearing that wider perspective, I'm thinking about the ways that we can update the social fabric to make it better for children to express themselves. Mm. That was Thank fun. Thank you. Yeah, Thank that you. went in a really cool direction. Thank you. Yeah. Something cool. I noticed just as like a little bit of, of meta, like looking at what happens, something I noticed about that game is like, it's like we get to have a conversation on 10 times the speed, like all the, the kind of like flow of getting excited and then like kind of calming back mm. down. And then there'd probably be a point where we get excited again. And like oh, we yeah. go from interpersonal to world to self. Oh, that was cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's good meta perspective. Thanks. You, 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 it's like a compression. The games act as a compression algorithm for all of the different feelings of life and, yes. and worldview statuses. The yeah. way I think about it is like if conversation is a stream, the games like put a dam in the stream. And so the water builds up in a certain part. And it means that like you just get like more intensity and you get to really explore something more deeply. Um, and then when you let the barrier go, there's a lot more flow possible. Can I add, can I do one more yes, thing please. on the end? Okay. Yes. So the thing that I'd love to share in here, just to kind of get deeper connection with you is um, to give a couple answers to the sentence stem. And oftentimes we'll say sentence stem, which is like kind of like a question, but a sentence to fill in. Se sentence stem. A sentence stem? Yeah, it's, it's like okay. a question, but it's like the start. It's like a prompt, the start to something. Oh, okay. So, okay. for example, the one I'd love to do is like, what I think I get about you is. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, what yeah. I think I understand about you. Okay. Do you want to go first or should I? Yeah, I'll go first. What I think I understand about you is your 
passion for the depths of the psyche. Mm. Oh, and the thing, the thing I love adding to this is a one to five scale of like okay. how much that fits. So I'm just going to show you with my fingers. So. Okay. And one being least and five being most. So. Okay. Okay. And then, so the person does that afterward. That's cool. Yeah. I like doing it that way. You can also play it without without that. I like that feedback. That's good. Yeah. I think that's really good. So I'll try one. Um, Something I think I get about you is that um, you have like a, a wider perspective on human nature that you connect a lot of things back to and that there's a lot of importance and meaning to you in the world and how it's going and your effect on it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Something that I, that I think I get about you is that when someone has these deep moments of awakening within authentic relating are some of your most beautiful moments in your life. Mm. Um, something I think I get about you is that you seem like fairly analytic. Like I imagine your primary like center through which you run things is more your head than your heart. But I think that you've trained your awareness of feeling and response to others. Yeah, that's that's probably really high, true. Yet, yeah, maybe like four and a half or so, four or five, four or five. Just because I've also spent now a decent amount of time now working on meditation and working on connecting my body and my heart and other people's bodies, hearts, spirit to spirit as well. All that is mm. going out that broad, unbounded feeling. Yeah, like keeping one foot in analytical and one foot in all that is, you know, it's kind of funny. So, can we can we do one yeah. last one about Ron? Yeah, please. Give, <laughs> you open give, to it, Ron? Yeah, yeah, let's get it. You want to do me? Oh yeah. All right. <laughs> Can't leave you out. I, I think I have one. Um, Ron, I think you have a naturally playful personality, and I think that one of the things you like about this show is you get to like play the character of yourself. <laughs> He's given a five. <laughs> That's a good one, Sarah. And now I have to. Uh... If you want to give one, I think you should give one for Alan actually, because you know him. I've just met y'all. It's hard because we're. I know a lot of. I think I know a lot about him. Alan, the thing I realize about you, or I think I know about you, is um, you're not fully human. The, your body is a mere vessel for something beyond our comprehension. Yeah, it's very accurate. It's five. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out more and more. Ron, Ron has been a major catalyst in me understanding forces that are happening beyond our 3D reality. And, and now other people and stories have been popping up as well of people being vessels or channels that um, other forces are at play through them on the planet. And so uh, 
Yeah, it almost feels as though you can feel the fight happening within you sometimes between the forces. Mm. Like you can get called, you're trying to get like pulled by some of the more malevolent forces to like get distracted and like get away from your like life purpose. And it's like, it's like this far and you have to get to this point to tip over into the malevolence in for like the next hour or two of your time. But then you like catch yourself right here and you're like, get away from me. <laughs> and then you focus on the positive and you keep building what you're doing. I don't necessarily believe that the forces are benevolent or benevolent. It's just, it's just the simplicity of light and dark. And the, the, um, the malevolence it has a, a big factor in, in the benevolence of it all. And it's, the evil only comes out of what our, this primitive process that, you know, we're so primitive and it, we just, we lean maybe towards the darker side. It's not necessarily evil, however, we're, we're not we're not living in balance so there's not you know there isn't mm -hmm. good guys bad guys it's just positive negative dark light you know evil is our creation with what we do with it when we know that we really shouldn't be uh doing this but we do it anyway yeah you know we we, we have a gut instinct that we go against and th that's that's what is evil we are evil there's not, you know, beyond this. Hmm. There's, uh, there's, there's, yeah. This is, and this is what I'm uh, coming to, con uh, not conclusion with, but the evolution of my understanding. Because I recall Alan telling you, oh, there's, there's a dark villain out, out there. Darth Vader is among us. You know, we need to be careful. But, you know, all we need to do is look in the mirror to, to see this God and devil. It's, it's right there. It's right outside your door. No. Now testify. So you can get to deep conversations like this with other people through these games. And let's go through the names of the games again. What was the first one we played? First one was noticing. Noticing, just noticing, okay. Mm -hmm. And then okay. the second one was? The second one was a sentence stem. Sen sentence stem. Sentence there's, stem. There's a whole okay. ton of these in the games manual, actual, actually different questions and sentence stems. And you can download the games mm -hmm. manual on the website. Yeah, it's by donation. By donation. Mm -hmm. Get downloading that games manual and get playing it in with your friends and communities. I love that. That's great. And be weird, be ready that it may be that your friend or some of your friends may not want to do it. Some of your family may not want to do it. So it's totally cool to find other people that want to do it and play it with them <laughs> because otherwise that's like your test of faith. If you don't pass that, then you won't get to play. What do you mean? Sometimes you get a test of faith, like, oh, I downloaded this manual, and now I'm here with my family, or oh, I'm here with yeah. a couple friends, and they're like, this is lame. We don't want to do this. We don't want to get vulnerable. We don't want to do this stuff. And then you're like, aw, and then you stop. But if you're like, oh, that's a test of faith. Now I have to go and find other people that I don't know that want to play this stuff. Oh, I love that perspective on it, yeah. yeah. I think of family as like the final test. It's like the boss battle. Yeah, it's like, like a boss family battle. and yeah. boss, or like yeah, boss at work, yeah. or like it is like a boss battle, right? Because there's so many like <laughs> dynamics and hierarchies in your role in your family, and are you challenging that? I have I have a funny story about this actually. If you yeah yeah, hear. give us a story. A story, okay. Um, think they'll be okay with me sharing this, but so I had an experience trying to bring these games um, to my family, or like trying that I was trying to relate with my brother. And we went to Burning Man together. And I was, so he and I, he went to boarding school 
uh, when I started middle school about. So we didn't really grow up together. And we, our relationship when I was young was like really bad. Um, and so I was like, okay, this is my big chance to get to know my brother for the first time. And I was like pulling out all the stops. Like I was like asking great questions and I was sharing vulnerably about myself. And I was like, you know, everything I knew how to do. Um, I was being present with him. I was connecting. And the thing about my brother is he's absolutely brilliant and he's a very private person. Like he lives kind of in the middle of nowhere with one person and, um, and he doesn't like sharing things intimately about himself until he feels very comfortable with someone. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have that deep of a relationship yet. So I was trying to communicate with him in this authentic relating mode and it just wasn't landing. And there was this period like in the middle of the burn where like we're having this incredibly intense conversation to the point where like I had to run away for 10 minutes and just break down behind a car. It was like, I didn't know if our relationship was gonna come back from it. And about like a couple weeks later, he comes through Austin with his girlfriend, now fiance. And I prepared this time, I was like, okay, if I were to relate with him from his language, because it's not about just authenticity, it's also about relating. Like, yeah, the mirroring. Yeah, and like deep questions aren't the only way to relate. Like yeah. for me, it's actually about figuring out like what language is someone else speaking? How yeah. do I meet them where they're at? And so I was like, okay, my brother, like he loves talking about different topics. He's super knowledgeable. Um, he's one of the most well-read, well-informed people that I know. Um, he likes experiences. And so I was like, okay, how do I speak his language? And so I just all day, like, you know, took him and his girlfriend around town and we went and saw the sites and we got ramen and we, you know, like I asked about topics and stuff and we had these great conversations and I felt a little bit out of my depth. I was like, well, I don't totally know how to relate like this, but I'm going to try to learn because mm -hmm. he tried to learn mine. And so we get to the evening and we're having a beer together at a coffee shop and he turns to me and he goes, okay, You've been good. You can ask us deep shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, and it was. That's good. It was validating. It was like, yeah. oh, okay. Like, I need to meet someone else in their world before I ask them to come to mine. It's like, a great story. Yeah. Yeah, that's how you do it. You speak in the language of other people. You mirror, and that's part of NLP, neurolinguistic programming. Yeah, yeah it's mm -hmm. totally a part of that. And you can use the games to figure out what someone else's language is. Yep. Like there are skills underlying the games, which is a lot of what I try to teach these days. Um, and those can be used in any situation, even if the games themselves can't be. Yeah. Can we take a question from the audience? Yes, please. Kendall asks, he's curious, what she sees as the growing edge of the authentic relating, where it is growing or what she sees in terms of where it is moving, what direction the growth is in? Oh, of the movement as a whole? Yes. Okay. Can I answer that? Mm -hmm. Sweet. I didn't know we had a live audience. This is cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, thanks for watching. Kendall. A little thanks, more self-conscious. Yeah. And thanks, Kendall. Um, right. So authentic relating, just as a, a little bit of backstory, when I found it, it was like maybe five communities. Um, came out of San Francisco in the early 1990s, moved to Boulder where there was a hub when I learned it around 2012. Um, and now there's you know like 70 plus communities um so there's a real a real like form of growth in uh formerly it was just in community building and how to like we, how do we have groups together and i would like host calls like community mastermind calls for the leaders to relate and interact um and now 
in the last couple of years, there's been a movement towards bringing authentic relating into other places. So there's quite a number of people that are doing consulting with businesses or are working with schools or are bringing it into prisons even now with Authentic Relating International. Um, there's quite a few communities in San Francisco that are using it, the rationalist communities. Um, and I think the real edge right now is how do we translate vulnerability, authenticity, empathy into other languages, into other cultures. And when I speak about other cultures, I don't just mean other countries. I mean like families, businesses of different kinds, schools, communities. Um, I was in Malaysia recently working with a company and trying to figure out how do I learn their culture quickly to be able to bring these things in. So I'd say that's, that's one cutting edge on like a, a kind of uh, instrumental scale. And then on, on an internal scale, um, I'm not really sure actually, like I wanna have a pat answer to that, but I think different communities are working with different things. There's kind of a life cycle that people go through with authentic relating, which is like, they have a default way of being, and this is vastly generalized, but default way of being, find authentic relating, go, oh man, I can be honest with more parts of myself and people actually wanna hear it. And they go out to their life and they try to do it with everyone around them and people are like, whoa, okay. Like, what is this? There's no context to it. People are just trying to express more of themselves. It screws with a lot of relationships. Sometimes like people's friend groups entirely change or you know, they just encounter a lot of conflict. And so then there's another phase of learning how to speak other people's languages and like what parts of myself are most important to show if, if like showing all of me is gonna be rejected in some situations. But, but I don't think people can get to the relating piece without going through the authenticity because you have to know what's in there by kind of making mistakes, by going too far towards the pole that you haven't been in um, to calibrate back towards the center. So there's this kind of pendulum swing that people go through. And I think that where the authentic relating movement is now is having as, as a movement swung kind of far towards that authenticity and now trying to come back towards the relating of like how do we integrate this into mainstream society, into other forms of communication and life. Yeah. And then hopefully bring society as a whole a little bit more on the realm of authenticity. Yep. That's a great way to put it. Mm -hmm. And then getting it into schools and getting into the corporations, so critical. I love those. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Kendall. That's a good question. Great question. What does it mean that constraint creates depth? Um, The river was one metaphor for this. I'm ah, trying to think of another and one. The damming of the yeah, river. basically that like whenever you, whenever you cut off some options. I think of this sometimes in terms of creativity. Like I'm more creative often if I give myself a form to work in. Like if I say I'm going to sit down and write a poem. There's so many possibilities of what I could write about that I get overwhelmed. But if I sit down and I go, I'm going to write a haiku. What am I inspired by right now? I'm gonna write a haiku about simulation series and its effect on the world. It's like I have this more defined channel to work within yeah. where I can be wildly creative, okay. but I need, I need a topic. And so the games, what they do is they, is that ha I think we have that in most areas of our life, but often not in conversation, unless there's a specific topic. But if you go to a party, it's like what, there's this whole field of like, what are you supposed to talk about with other people? Who are you supposed to talk to? And I think the thing get pe that people get overwhelmed by, like what causes social anxiety is too many choices. 
Like we're not built for that many. And so to have a game, to have an artificial social constraint has a lot of people feel a lot safer. Mm. And then if you practice within that safe constraint, mm -hmm. then you can start bringing it out more. Like I grew up with really severe social anxiety, which is a lot of why I got into authentic relating. Um, like even now, like every time I'm in a room with others, like I have so much physical tension in my stomach, I can't stand up, like I have to sit down, I have to like often meditate for a while before I go and talk to people. Sometimes it'll take an hour or two to fade. And the games have kind of gradually expanded my capacity to stay with that sensation more and more and to know like what to talk about even while I'm in that. Yeah, I spent a decent amount of time also remembering your story about your brother and speaking in the language of your brother can unlock and move people further in the direction of the authentic relating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. Okay, and it totally makes sense. People feel it all the time when they have something to do and that they really squeeze the amount of time they have left before it needs to be deployed and then they feel like they're those are the constraints and they can really get creative in that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you gave a good example of that poem too. What about the balance between authenticity and relating? What does that even mean? Um, that speaks to, um, so, so I'm gonna track back of like, when we're kids, I think that we, we have this whole range of how we can express. That's somewhat defined by our personality growing up, but like, we start out like pretty much all nature, and then we get nurture as we grow up, and we start expressing different things. Like maybe as a kid I throw a temper tantrum. How my parents respond to that and how my friends and environment respond to that shapes how much I think I can bring that part of myself. So if I show anger and my parents are actually like really encouraging, like yeah, express your boundaries, then I grow up thinking that like, actually probably having a fairly healthy expression of anger because I might see it as like how to express my boundaries. If I go up in a situation where anger, where I see anger around me and it's something that's used to hurt others, then I might either shut down my own anger or, or react by being more angry. Or if my parents shut down my anger, if they're like, that's not an okay expression or stop crying, then either I get more angry or I also shut down my own emotion and think it's not okay. So we have this mirroring from our outside environment when we're young that I think shapes a lot of our emotional reality. When we get older, that's how we interact with the world, but there's so many different types of people and they've all been shaped by different environments. And we're kind of in this confusing space of like, I don't know if you want me to communicate with you directly or indirectly, or like to be softer and more emotional or more analytical. And it's like, how do I figure that out? So, I get to train that by like being honest, like the, the best way I know of to do that is let me show a little bit more of some part of myself. Like let me raise my voice a little, get a little more intense and see how you respond. And you're nodding, so it's like, okay, cool, I can bring a little more of my intensity here. But I'm not just expressing, I'm also like watching for your response or mm -hmm. asking about it. And there's these two poles of like, how much do I want to show of my own self-expression? Can I push the boundaries so I have a little bit more space in places where historically I didn't feel okay? But can I also do it and stay attuned to you? And one of my, one, one of my teachers, Michael Porcelli, likes to say that there's um, a spectrum between expression and ownership. 
So the more I go towards owning my experience, towards like speaking calmly and in I statements and like saying things of like, you know, I'm angry right now and I'm feeling upset that you did this thing, that's ownership. And anger is just like, how could you? Like, how could you do that? It's totally unowned, but it's actually more, more honest or authentic in a way to what I'm feeling. Like I shut down a little bit of like what's really happening in order to own it. So there's, it's kind of like, where am I playing along that scale? And I'm not gonna be as aware of you if I'm expressing fully. We lose some consciousness of the other person when we're more in our own expression. So either I try to pay attention to both of us at the same time, authenticity and relating, or I go more fully into you to relate and ask about your experience, or I go more fully into me and express. And the best way to like check which one to do is to set context, which is like, sometimes I'll just ask someone like, hey, can I, can I set a five minute timer and just be unfiltered? And I want, like, I'd love it if you just like, don't take anything I say as truth. Like, I'm upset at you. I, I just wanna be able to speak to it so it's not on my chest anymore. I'd love to just hear afterwards, like, what impacted you about that. And I can give myself the space to go full into expression as long as the other person knows what's coming and they've consented to it. Mm -hmm. A lot of words. <laughs> That's another good um, exercise to be so aware that you can ask that exact question if I can uh, do a specific uh, style of communication with you for a period of time to see. To, help me express to see how you react but i do i wonder if one can carry a authenticity and relating at the same time as they go about the world and then kind of like figure out what works for each person um and then tailor themselves if you can wear like a lot of different costumes and like put on different outfits for each person yeah um yeah i think i i actually like i didn't hold that perspective and then a friend brought that to me a little bit ago and really had me think about it and i think like there are moments when I hold both of them, and for me, it's mostly if I'm in a flow state. Like, I can be conscious of myself and the other, and it's kind of, we're both just contained within a more universal self. I'm still trying to learn how to do it, like, in daily life. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was hoping you had the answer. Always a student of the universe. There's, yeah. The only thing I know is that I know nothing. All right. How about... Now, it's, this is, the authentic leadership training has, hap, has trained over 500 different leaders. You express that there's like 75 more of these communities now around the world. What does it mean when these people are then leading from truth? It's a couple different things. One is this idea of more congruence. When a leader gets up in front of a room and they look out at a whole bunch of people it feels like there's a choice in that moment. You can like launch straight into the plan that you have and just run that beginning to end, regardless of what's happening in the room. Or you can go a little more into awareness and go, what's happening in me? What seems to be happening in other people? And either you might run the same plan but reveal a little more, like give personal examples to things rather than examples from stories that you've heard or share in the moment, like I'm feeling like really, really like excited about what's happening in this room right now. Um, or ask about people on a personal level, like, hey, I noticed that seemed to impact you. Like, 
Will you share what's going on with you with the group? Um, you might even choose to change, a, a leader acting from authenticity might even choose to change their, their plan. I sometimes yeah. tell my students, like, hold your plan lightly and your intentions strongly. Yeah. So have a compass. That's like, great. know what you want people to get out of what you're doing. That's really important. But the way you get there can be guided by what you're attentive to in yourself and in others. Yes. And to do that, you have to be aware. And awareness is vulnerable when you're with a bunch of people because you don't know what's going to happen next. And a lot of the training is, is getting people into practicing that space of being aware, questioning their reactions, trying new things, getting feedback directly about how it lands, and coaching about like, how to make their natural way of being the superpower they bring to the world. Yeah, before going in and just operating an algorithm um, like breaking, breaking bread at the table with other people, you know, slow everyone down and express deep gratitude for each other for the food check in with how people are feeling maybe have a couple words before you dig in type mm -hmm. thing same thing with a meeting at work like instead of getting in there with the agenda and just boom 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 doing it just be like how do i feel how does the room feel let's talk first let's emotionally connect and right. then jump in and i mean those are the that's the difference between leaders that are uh, known by the p people that they work with as um as ones that they really um, appreciate that they can dive deep into emotional or social relationships with versus ones that feel like they have fear approaching social emotional context it's all about logic and productivity and getting things done so yeah big differences there what's the authentic life course hmm. um, I'm actually gonna take a breath first yes hmm. thanks I noticed there was like this peak of energy earlier and now it feels like we're kind of like coming down into a softer space yeah and there's part of me that's like oh no we're losing the energy but actually it feels just like a, a calmness but I need to slow myself down to enjoy it it's like I'm putting the head on the shoulder yeah mm -hmm. it's like the nap after you get all excited yeah, yeah. <laughs> so from the nap space yeah um, the authentic life course, something I noticed is that people that came to authentic relating or weekend workshops of any kind, like dance events, yoga retreats, transformational events, would have these really big, amazing experiences, but then go home and not know what to do about it. And our social and physical environments shape a lot of who we are. Yeah. So people need or it almost felt cruel to send people home without some tools of how to integrate this into life. So the Authentic Life course is meant to teach the principles of authentic relating and give a way to practice them such that they can actually be integrated into people's daily lives. So it's a nine-week online course that goes over things like how do you become aware of what's happening around you? How do you take agency in social situations to change things? How do you ask deeper questions? How do you make active versus passive requests of people around you? How do you get feedback from people in your life about how you show up? There's an exercise in it where people ask like five to 10 people they trust in their life a set of questions like, how do you see me? What do you trust me for? What do you not trust me for? And, and get mm -hmm. reflections, sometimes for the Great first questions. time. Yeah. It also goes into like emotional resilience. How do you be okay if someone doesn't want your authenticity? What do you do then? Yeah. 
So it's, all, it's kind of an attempt to clarify those topics and have it be really experiential where there's videos so people learn about it, they do personal practices, and then they actually have assignments to try it in their life. Excellent. And there's, there's also the um, authentic leadership trainings happening in, Mon in Reno, Boulder, and one in Austin that's called The Living Room that's coming up. Yeah, that's actually not a leadership training, The what Living Room. Um, the Living Room is... Okay, I'm going to take a second with this one. It's actually kind of a vulnerable one because it's like, it's one of those ones where it's like, okay, I feel a little like an imposter for putting this on. Like, am I cool enough to do this for the type of people that are, that are coming? Um, but it, it's kind of like a more intuitive, like, oh, this seems like what I care most about and where I want to go, which is the living room is, is like a conference that is bringing together people that work at the intersection of consciousness or relating work, whether it's authentic relating, nonviolent communication. Um, pretty, uh, I'm trying to think of others. Dance, there's dancers coming, there's systems experts, there's scientists, um, people that are working at like, consciousness and also doing things out in the world to apply it. Because I think you can work just at the level of how do I create deeper relationships in my life or how do I like bring this just one-on-one -on -one or like have dreams of what I want to do. But then there are people that are working in this delicate space of like, I care about how I'm connecting with other people. I'm aware of myself. And then I'm also trying to do something in the world. And, I, and often those people don't have a lot of others around them that are, that are working in that same space like they've developed so many parts of themselves that it's hard to find others that can meet all of them so the living room is an experiment in bringing everybody in that field together um, and it's invite and application only so we're pretty careful about screening it and bringing them together for three and a half days in austin at a really beautiful retreat space and just creating spaces for skill sharing for conversations for um, deep connection and relaxation and lots of like surprise and mischief and getting us out of our comfort zones into the full potential of who we are as bodies, spirits, as relational beings, as creators, bringing that together. Cool. Mm -hmm. The conference is in September that's coming up. Yeah, in first weekend of September. And then speaking of spirits, do you think we come from somewhere else beyond this 3D reality into these flesh vehicles to play on planet Earth? Oh man. Um, I hold two equal perspectives on this. Um, one of which is like, that could absolutely be true. Like there seems to be something about consciousness that can't be explained in the physical world. There are phenomena like when I've circled or when I've done games, sometimes I've had these moments where I know things about other people that I couldn't possibly have known. Or I'm, or I'm like in flow with the universe. Something is coming through me rather than being me. I can't explain those moments. And then there's the rational side of me. Like my parents were both doctors. I was raised super scientifically. I'm like very much a nerd. I spend a lot of my time just reading articles on science and group dynamics and psychology and stuff. It underlies a lot of my work. And I also believe that if, that there are rules to everything in the universe. And if we understood all of those rules, we could understand why everything acts and interacts the way it is. Like maybe there's a spirit molecule that's causing things. Some people think it's 5-MeO-DMT. Yeah, maybe, yeah. And, and it's almost like I can hold the reality of like empirical, like deterministic, everything happens for a reason, everything can be explained by laws. 
and the sense of real awe and wonderment of like, probably in my lifetime, all those things aren't gonna be figured out. So like, I just get to experience it as like wonder and beingness and things happening through me. And if both of those realities are true and I think they're coexisting, I choose day to day to, to live both of them and hold that sense of wonder even, even as I strive to understand more. That's cool, yeah. One foot in, one foot out. Mm -hmm. Constantly have your worldview run like that. And then what about, do you think we're in a simulation? Of the world? Can you say what you mean by that? Are we in a simulation? You just want me to answer it? Yeah. Okay. Are we in a simulation? Um, it begs the question of who would be running the simulation if there is one. What I can say is I think that like, who we are and how we act is in some way predetermined. Like everything that we've experienced and done so far and been taught and learned leads up to the person that we are to the point where like we couldn't do anything but what we're doing right now, which gives me a lot of compassion for people. Cause I'm like, I can't change who they were. I can only affect who they're going to be. And by shaming who they are right now, it's not gonna really help affect them cause they couldn't do anything else. So like in a sense, we, we are in a simulation. We're in the simulation of our own lives. We're these players that are kind of playing out a role that's been assigned to us, but we're still player one. Like I think we still get to make choices. We still get to find congruence. And we are in like a world that's been built around us and that we don't get choice over. I have this, um, this Rumi poem that's actually tattooed on me and the last line of it is your boundaries are your quest. The one thing that we get to choose is where we stop and where the world begins. And I think that's the one choice we have over the simulation. And what do you think is the most beautiful thing in the world? <laughs> oh man, there's so many. I think our capacity to choose and our capacity for wonderment. And there's something incredibly poignantly beautiful about how painful that can be. Like that awareness requires choice and it requires staying awake all the time. And that's absolutely painful. But like Ken Wilber puts it like, there's more pain, but there's less suffering when we stay awake like that. And there's such richness and beauty to me in that awakeness. This has been such a good episode. <laughs> Thank this was you. really fun. Thank I'm glad you. we had so much fun. Uh -huh. Thank you yeah. for coming on. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for all your work. More authentic relating in the revolution Indeed. around the world. <laughs> Indeed. 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 More simulation, too. More simulation, too. I yeah. love it. I love it. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We greatly appreciate it. We'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments below on the episode. Let us know what you're thinking. Also, do check out the links in the bio. That's authrev.org as well as authteams.org and enter the living room link down there and Sarah's YouTube channel. Go subscribe to watch those videos and have more conversations with your friends, your family, coworkers, people online on social media about these authentic relating games. Go and download the manual, make a donation, go and apply these to your life as soon as possible. Get going. With that, shout out to Ron Vagas for producing and directing. Thank you very much, Ronnie. We appreciate it and support the artists, the entrepreneurs, the spiritual leaders around the world that you believe in. Support them, help them grow. Simulations links are below. Our Patreon, our PayPal, our cryptocurrency link, design cool merch and get paid, do all that cool stuff. And go and build the future. Manifest your dreams into the world. We love you very much. Thank you for tuning in. We will see you soon. Peace. Okay.